And I trust God will bless and use his word amongst us this evening for his glory and for our mutual blessing and good. Just a couple of verses from Psalm 105 as we begin the evening. O give thanks unto the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people, sing unto him, sing psalms unto him, talk ye of all his wondrous works, glory ye in his holy name, let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord, seek the Lord and his strength, seek his face evermore, remember his marvellous works that he hath done, his wonders and the judgments of his mouth. Well, let's pray. O our gracious God and heavenly Father, we do bow in your thrice holy presence together this evening. We come, Lord, to give thanks to you for your word, the word that is before us this evening. We pray that the Holy Spirit will take it and apply it with power and clarity, authority to our hearts. Oh, we do ask, O oh Lord, that as we sing uh, to your praise, that our hearts will be engaged in, uh, in that. And, Lord, that it might truly be for the honor and glory of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. O oh Lord, we pray that we may indeed seek your face and your strength in all that concerns us and find that as we remember those marvelous works that you have done, the wonders and the judgments of your mouth, that, Lord, we will be blessed, strengthened and encouraged in all that concerns us in the various changing scenes of life. So, Lord, be with us this evening, we do pray. In Jesus' name, and for your own glory. Amen. <clears throat> Our opening praise this evening is hymn number 140. 140. Now to the Lord a noble song. Awake, my soul, awake, my tongue. Hosanna to the eternal name, and all his boundless love proclaim. 140.
And I'd ask you to turn with me in God's Word this evening to Paul's letter to the Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1, and we'll read the first 14 verses. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Where Paul writes, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of his glory. Amen. May God bless his word to us as we've read it together. Let's sing to God's praise again in hymn number 14. Number 14. Give praise and thanks unto the Lord, for bountiful is he. His tender mercy doth endure unto eternity. Number 14.
draw near to God in prayer. Let's pray. O Lord, as we have been reading your word and singing your praise, truly we have so much to praise and thank you for. In the midst of many, many changing scenes in life, you remain the same. You are still on your glorious throne and you still have our salvation at heart. Lord, you still are working out your purposes in us and for us, and we trust through us for the greater glory of your holy name. O Lord, we would give praise and thanks unto you. Truly you are a bountiful God. All we have needed, your hand has provided for us through another week. Yes, Lord, there may have been those things that, humanly speaking, have been adverse for one and another. But, Lord, still you have met and supplied our need. And we would lift up our voices in praise and thanksgiving to you. Lord, you are so bountiful. You are so generous to us. You are good when you give. You are good when you withhold. You are good when we receive and good when we lose. You are good. The only being that is good is our God. Truly, God is good. And Lord, we would acknowledge that, whoever we are this evening. Your goodness and mercy have followed us every moment of our life. And you will continue that goodness and mercy through the remaining days of our lives, whether they be many or few. Lord, surely goodness and mercy shall follow follow me all the days of my life. And when that life comes to an end, Lord, then we shall enter in to be with Christ, which is far better, for we shall dwell in the house of the Lord, the home of the Lord, heaven itself, forever. Oh, Lord, what a wonderful prospect belongs to your children, belongs to your people. We have been reminded this evening, Lord, in our last praise that we are your inheritance and you have an inheritance for us. Oh, what a wonderful thing. Lord, receive our praise and our thanksgiving this evening. But, Lord, you know the various things that we face in our lives as individuals, as families, collectively, perhaps as a church and fellowship. Lord, we need you to be with us still and you would have us cry unto you and for your continued goodness. They that seek shall find. And Lord, we are seeking you tonight to remember us with that love that you bear towards your people, that, Lord, you would visit us afresh this evening with your salvation and draw near to us in the days that lay ahead of us this coming week. O Lord, may they be days that honor the Lord. We pray, O Lord, for different ones in the fellowship. You know the personal circumstances and needs of each and every one where there is joy, where there is sorrow, where, O Lord, there is adversity, 
where there is anxiety, where there is, O Lord, that real sense of being blessed. O Lord, we pray for each and every one in this fellowship and gathered here this evening. The Lord, you will be with them through this com these coming days according to their need and according to your plan and purpose. We would ever seek the grace that our Lord demonstrated so wonderfully when there he was in the garden. Lord, on his face, sweating as it were great drops of blood. Oh Lord, when he was there wrestling in an agony and wrestling match that we can never begin to understand or fathom. And yet, O oh Lord, he could say, oh, he could say to his father, Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And Lord, that's how we would pray this evening, for and with one another. Your will be done in earth. Your will be done in us. Your will be done in our lives. Lord, we mean it. Lord, these words can so easily trip off our tongue. But Lord, we really want the will of the Lord to be done because that will bring glory to our Saviour. And Lord, at the end of the day, that's our ultimate desire, to magnify our God and glorify our blessed Saviour who did, has done and is doing so much for us so much that is undeserved. Oh, the amazing grace of God to sinners, the amazing grace of God to us, the amazing grace of God to me. Oh, Father, personalize these things, we pray in our hearts and in our expressions and in our lives, that every part of us will magnify your holy name. We do pray again, O Lord, uh, for our country at this time in all its confusion. Lord, in all its concern, Father, we don't understand the things that are taking place. And the so much is so contradictory to your holy word and your revealed will in Scripture. Lord, there seems to be an abandonment of all that is good and right and glorifying to our Creator God. O oh, Father, have mercy upon our land. Have mercy upon our governing bodies. O oh, Lord, have mercy upon our Queen. Lord, she cannot have long to live. And Lord, we do wonder sometimes what will happen when she is taken from the he as head of this country albeit only a titular head. Lord, we do wonder, but we know that over all, the Lord God omnipotent reigns. And in that we take confidence and courage and pray, Lord, that at the very least we might in our small corner honour this glorious God who loved us so much that he gave his Son who in turn loved us so much that he gave himself. And together they love us, so that they have sent the Holy Spirit. Oh, blessed God, glorify yourself even in us and our poor unworthy lives.
Lord, we confess our sin before you, personally, collectively. And Lord, we seek once again your grace and mercy in forgiveness. Oh Lord, cleanse us from our sin. Cleanse us from our shame. Lift that shame from us, Lord. And purify our hearts. Purify our lives. That we may more live more God-honoring lives to the praise of the Lord. So hear us. Be with us, one and all. And those who are absent, perhaps watching online, or Lord, absent for various reasons, draw near to them also. And what we seek for ourselves, we seek for them. Hear us, Father, in these our prayers this evening as we bring them in and through our precious Lord and Saviour, pleading his merit and not our own. On the ground of his blood we draw near. And in his name we pray. Amen. Well, before coming to the word this evening, we'll sing 501, hymn 501. Sovereign grace, or sin abounding, ransomed souls, the tidings swell. Tis a deep that knows no sound, or length can tell. On its glories let my soul forever dwell. 501.
And now I want to turn with you in God's word this evening to Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 1. And just a few words in verse 7. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. And really, it's a subject rather than a verse that is on my heart. The riches of his grace. The riches of God's grace. Now, this precious and lovely letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus falls quite plainly into two parts, as indeed do most of his letters. It begins in chapters 1 to 3 with doctrine, and then how that doctrine works out in practice in the remaining half, or just over half, but basically half of the letter. Or as someone puts it like this, Chapters 1 to 3 speak speak to us of the riches that belong to true believers. And then the second half speaks to us of the conduct befitting those who possess those riches. And it's interesting when you uh, study particularly the first three chapters that Paul uses the words riches Five times. And the first is in our text this evening, the riches of his grace. It comes again in verse 18, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. In chapter 3 and verse 8, the unsearchable riches of Christ. And in chapter 3 and verse 16, the riches of his, that is, Christ's glory. And when you read the letter to the Ephesians with that in mind, when he's using the word riches, he's not talking about wealth. He's not talking about in monetary terms. He's speaking of wealth in a particular way. He's speaking in the sense of an abundance and depth of value. That's what he's referring to. So we could say that when he talks about exceeding riches, he's talking about superabundant riches. When he talks about unsearchable riches, he's talking about profound riches that are ours in Christ. And the riches of his glory, obviously there's the intonation there of the glorious riches of God. And all these riches are ours in Christ Jesus, who has blessed us in verse 3 of our chapter with every spiritual blessing. What a wealth, what an abundance of blessing God has given to us, his people, to those who are his saints and faithful ones. And they are ours in the heavenly places and they are lodged in our Saviour, in our Redeemer Christ. So when we begin to understand what this chapter is about generally, it's clear, isn't it, that only Christians 
are actually truly rich and truly wealthy. The world is a poor old world. It has no wealth. It has no riches. It's God's people are the possessors of these riches. They're the truly rich, the truly wealthy ones. A hymn puts it so beautifully uh, concerning the Christian, how vast the treasure we possess. How rich thy bounty, King of grace. This world is ours and worlds to come. Earth is our lodge and heaven is our home. Oh, how rich the Christian is. If you're a Christian tonight, these riches are yours in all their abundance, in all their profundity, and in all their glory. And as we look at these few words this evening, the riches of his grace, I want us to just think about whose they are and what they are and how they come by those riches. So my first heading this evening is a very simple one. Whose these riches are. And we go back to verse 1 and we find out. Who is Paul writing to? He's writing to the saints who are in Ephesus and the faithful in Christ Jesus. They are the ones... Because in verse 3 he picks up, who has blessed us. He's numbering himself among them. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. It's the saints in Ephesus and the faithful in Christ Jesus who possess these riches. The saints in Ephesus. Just think about that. What is a saint? A saint is a separated person. A saint is a consecrated person, set apart for holy purposes. That's what those two words imply, don't they? A a saint is separated, they're set apart. Some could use the word consecrated for holy purposes. They were quite distinct, these people that Paul is writing to, to everyone else who lived in Ephesus. They were distinct. They were different for the simple reason they possessed the riches we are considering this evening. The riches of God's grace are theirs. They were no longer what they were. In chapter 2 he says, you were. Once upon a time, You were dead in trespasses and sins. You walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and so on. You were among those who conducted themselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, children of wrath, dead in trespasses and sins. He goes through it. This is what you were, he says. You were dead in trespasses and sin. You were under God's just and righteous condemnation. You were without Christ. He uses the past tense. You were without or outside of Christ. 
aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, no hope without God in the world. Like everyone else in Ephesus, they lived to satisfy the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And Christian, brother and sister, that's where you and I were, isn't it? That's where we were. But something happened. By God's grace, something happened. They, were no, they are no longer. That's what they were. But now they are no longer what they were. You see, they had repented of their sin. They had repented of their sinful and idolatrous life. By God's grace, it was God's grace did it. It wasn't what they did, it's what God caused them to do by the working of his spirit in their heart. He brought them to repentance over their sin. To turn away from, that's what repenting is, it's turning away. They turned away from their sinful and idolatrous life and lifestyle. Then they rejected Christ and worshipped the goddess of Diana. But now they are the faithful in Christ Jesus. That's who they are. That's their lifestyle now. They were in the world and of the world and satisfying their own lusts and pleasures. But now they are believers and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Once upon a time, they were as far from God as a sheep can run. But now, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near. You've been brought near to God. You were far from God, but now you've been brought near to God. And how did that happen? By the blood of Christ. Paul had helped them overcome their unclear views of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what happened in Ephesus. You read about it uh, back in Acts chapter 19, how Paul went to Ephesus and he taught them and he helped them to overcome. They were confused and perplexed. We don't even know whether there is such a one as the Holy Spirit. They were confused. They only had partial understanding. Yes, they were far from God. But Paul had helped them overcome those unclear views so that there came that point in Acts 19 verse 5 where they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They'd been baptized into the name of John, John the Baptist. That's all they knew. Oh, we haven't heard so much about the Holy Spirit, they said. So Paul taught them. He taught them daily in the school of Tyrannus took him two years to teach them and try and explain the gospel to them. And those two years, he was teaching in the school of Tyrannus in Ephesus, and many others, we read, heard the word of the Lord Jesus. And as he taught them, the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. They had been changed, changed by the working of the Spirit bringing the word of the Lord to life in their hearts 
so that they repented of their sinful, wicked ways and believed and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. They were saints, they were different, and they were now living consecrated lives to the glory of God. And just as the Ephesian church community was distinct in the society of their day, so believers and faithful followers of the Lord Jesus Christ are to be distinct and separated from the society in which we live. Now that doesn't mean we go into holy huddles. That doesn't mean that we shut ourselves away in monasteries. It means that we live differently. We are lights in the darkness. We've been changed. And therefore we are lights in darkness. Once we were as dark as everyone else. But now we are light in that darkness. They live. And let me remind you our Lord's commission to his disciples. Go, he said. And this is what Paul was doing. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you. That's exactly what Paul was doing in the school of Tyrannus in Ephesus. And the consequence was clear. As Paul obeyed that call on him, the people became saints, they became faithful followers of the Lord. So Paul can address them to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. They became infinitely richer than the, all the wealthy Ephesians around them. And it was a city of great wealth. They turned from their idolatry to worship the true and living God. And they worshipped him in the midst of that uh, idolatrous city and facing the music, we might say, of the enemies of the gospel. And that challenged me as I thought about it. Whose these riches are? And I asked myself the question, how different am I? And I ask you the question, how different are you to others in the circles in which you move? I'm not saying how well do you proclaim the gospel. I'm not asking you the question how articulate you are in speaking about the Savior. But are you different to the world in which you live? And your world might be different to my world. I know we live in the big wide world. But we have our own small corner in this world. And we are to be light in that small corner. You in your small corner and I in mine. We are to shine as lights in the darkness. And those who do so shine, they are rich. So we've established who these riches belong to, the riches of God's grace. But what are those riches? What are the riches that are ours? 
every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That's the riches, that's the wealth that we possess. Oh, my friend, what a profound statement that is. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That's your wealth, Christian. That's my wealth. As we faithfully walk in and with the Lord Jesus Christ, we enjoy all that he can give us. All that he alone can give us. And preeminently, that is every blessing in the spiritual and eternal realm. That should thrill us. That should move us. And that's explained in this little phrase in our text. They are the riches of God's grace. Therefore... These riches are undeserved. They are unmerited. We have forfeited any claim to them by reason of our sinful nature and our sinful deeds. And it strikes me as I read through this passage, four great riches out of the infinite riches that are ours in Christ, four great riches are outlined. Because the saints and faithful in Christ Jesus possess, in verse 6, acceptance with God. Think about that. Acceptance with God. I've already said, our sinful heart and rebellious lives separated us from God. They drove a wedge between a holy God and us. We were simply not acceptable to the one who is of purer eyes than to behold iniquity and evil, who cannot look on wickedness. Like the hymn writer, I once was a stranger to grace and to God. Because our iniquities have separated us from our God and our sins have been hidden from, have hidden his face from us, says Isaiah. But now, in Ephesians 2, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Christian brother and sister, we are accepted with God. And that acceptance required three other great riches of grace. Three other undeserved riches. And verse 7 gives us the second. Redemption. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins. Redemption. Without the riches of gracious redemption, the past is irreparable. The payment of the price required to restore our broken relationship with God must be paid. (coughs) 
Like Ruth, we needed a redeemer. Someone to bring us into the family of God. That was the whole principle and point of redemption in Ruth's time. You know the story of Ruth and Boaz. What happened? Ruth was an outsider. She was not acceptable. How could she be accepted? Only as a redeemer could be found. And Boaz was that redeemer, pointing us forward to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Boaz paid the redemption price, Ruth was brought into the family. She was now accepted and acceptable in among the people of God. We need someone willing and able to pay the penalty of our sin and appease the wrath of God for us and thus wiping out our record of sin. Because only then can we receive the third great riches of these riches. We're accepted with God, we've been redeemed, and therefore, in verse 7, we have the forgiveness of sins. We've got to be made acceptable. We need to be redeemed. We need to be forgiven. Without the riches of gracious forgiveness, without redemption, the, the past is irreparable. Without forgiveness, the present is intolerable. The present is intolerable. Living under the curse of God, living under the frown of God, living antagonistic towards God, it's an intolerable lifestyle. And don't we see that in the world in which we live? Because they know nothing of acceptance with God. They know nothing of redemption. They know nothing of the forgiveness of sins. And such a life is intolerable. Oh, we need not merely the words of forgiveness. Words can be empty, shallow things. No, we need the perfect act of forgiveness. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ came to do and bring about. He came to bring about forgiveness, not to talk about it, but to bring it about. The lifting of the sanctions and the full freedom of a new life and relationship with God. It's only as we are forgiven in the present that we can be confident of the future. You can't be confident of the future if you're not forgiven. And you're not going to be forgiven if there's no redemption. And there's no redemption, there's no acceptance with God without these things. But when we enjoy the blessings of redemption, the blessings of the forgiveness of sin, we can be confident of the future, whether it's long or short, whatever the future days on this earth hold. My friend, if we are accepted with God, 
redeemed by the blood of Christ, forgiven our sins, we are looking forward to the fourth of these great riches in verse 11. We have obtained an inheritance. There's the future. That's our future. We have a future inheritance. Oh, without the riches of, of grace, the future is bleak. It's bleaker than bleak. It's intolerable. For the wages of sin is death. The future without the riches of Christ, without every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ given to us, we shall be banished at the command of Christ the judge forever into the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Oh, Christian, if you're a Christian tonight, a believer, one who is a saint and faithful in Christ, the free, unmerited riches of grace belong to you. For the redeemed, the past is forgiven. For the forgiven, the present is hopeful. And for those with a sure inheritance, the future is bright and secure. Blessings all mine, with 10,000 beside. Are you asking in your heart tonight, how can I possess these riches of God's grace? How can I be accepted with God? How can I be redeemed and my past put behind me? How can I be forgiven and the present become bearable? How can I possess this future inheritance? My friend, you need to be a Christian. And there are many people inside co congregations who are not Christians. We all need to give diligence to make our calling and our election sure. And that brings me to my third point this evening. How these spiritual blessings, how the riches of God's grace are acquired. How do the saints and the faithful in Christ Jesus acquire them? And why do they acquire them in this way? The answer is quite simple and straightforward. It is not for good deeds, good tempers nor frames. From grace it proceeds, and all is the Lamb's. That was good Joseph Hart. Let me repeat it. How are they acquired? Not for good deeds, not for good tempers, not for good frames. It's by grace it is received. And that grace is all the lambs and he bestows it on his people. Our acceptance with God, our redemption, forgiveness and inheritance are God's free gift. They are God's gift. 
And they only come to us by God's grace. Hence, the riches, according to the riches of his grace. It's in him, in Christ. We have redemption through his blood. We have the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. They are ours only according to the riches of the grace of the triune God. The grace of God the Father. The grace of God the Son. And the grace of God the Holy Spirit. Let me just quickly and briefly outline those three things. Consider in verses 4 to 6, God the Father's gracious decree. These blessings are for those who are within the covenant of grace. And what does that mean? In verse 4, he has ble- or verse 3, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he did something. He chose us in Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with our blessings in his Son as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. That sums up all I've been saying. God the Father and his glorious decree. He chose us with a divine intention. And what was that divine intention? That those who he's going to bless should be holy and blameless in his sight. And the recipients and the objects of his love. That's a most wonderful thing. That's what underscores and gives the security to the believer. It is all of the Father's gracious love, sovereign love and sovereign gracious decree and choice. What was his object? That they should be brought, that they should be adopted into the divine family, having predestined us to adoption as sons. His intention when he chose us in Christ that we should be adopted by Jesus Christ to himself, to the Father. We should be brought into the family of God. And the Lord Jesus Christ would be the one who would do all that was necessary by Jesus Christ. All for the Father's glory. You see, verse 6 tells us the Father's chose predestined according to the pleasure of his will that we should be to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he's made us accepted. It's a wonderful, wonderful truth. There's nothing haphazard about God's decree. It's determined. It's an unchangeable decree. It's an everlasting decree. It's an eternal decree in that it had no beginning as we can understand it. 
It was deep in the everlasting mind. The eternal purpose lay of choosing some from lost mankind. It was an everlasting love, a love without beginning that was lodged in the heart of the Father towards a people yet to be born. And because it had no beginning, it has no duration, because it has no end, it is an ever-present thing. Doesn't that make you want to praise God? Believer tonight, that you are what you are by God's grace, God the Father's grace. But for that to come about, there had to be the work of the second person of the Trinity. God the Son's gracious procurement. That's how we came by it. By God the Father's gracious decree and by God the Son's gracious procurement. What did he do? He came down into this world to do everything that was necessary to bring us into the family of God, to restore that fractured relationship with the Almighty. So living as a man without sin, he was able to take our place under God's curse. So on the cross, what was he doing? We're thinking of Easter coming up. What was happening at Easter? There was the sinless one. There was the Redeemer hanging on the cross under the curse of God that hovers above us. Oh, our great propitiation, our great uh, shield. Christ hangs between heaven and earth and the wrath of God is poured out upon him and it's deflected from us. And the curse of God is poured out upon him and it's moved away from us. Oh, what a great doctrine is the doctrine of propitiation. And because that wrath has been born, and because the curse has been lifted, and the full penalty of God's law has been poured out on his Son when he hung between heaven and earth, there is now full forgiveness of sin without any contradiction, any diminution of God's holy justice. Justice is satisfied. The Father looks at him and is satisfied. And all those who are believing in that Savior and entrusting their salvation to him alone are clear. As I said this morning, they are no longer guilty. The guilt is gone. Everything that divides and separates from God the Father is gone. And it's in his resurrection, that glorious resurrection, that the Father demonstrated the truth of his Son's last great cry. It is finished. It's done. There's nothing more to be done. Everything necessary for those who are saints in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus has been done. 
And as he ascended back into glory, we now have that future hope of a future inheritance. Because when Jesus went into the glory, he left behind him a message that this same Jesus, whom you have seen go into heaven, is gloriously coming again. And when he comes again, it will be to bring all things to their great conclusion. And all those who are these objects and the subjects of God's gracious, the Father's gracious decree, whose salvation has been procured by the Son's gracious procurement, will be with him. And God the Son also did this with a divine intention. Because we read in verse 12, we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. The Father's decree brought him glory. The Son's activity brought him glory. And we shall glorify God the Father and God the Son. And we are to live forever to the praise of his glory. But where is the Holy Spirit in all this? If you just cast your mind back just a few minutes, I said it's through the grace of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, we rejoice in God the Holy Spirit's gracious sealing. In verse 13, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. We've, we've got a guaranteed inheritance. It's glorious. And the Holy Spirit has sealed it to us. You see, the risen Savior, the ascended Savior, and his Father have combined together to send the Holy Spirit who works in our hearts in such a way as to bring us to repentance and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ alone for salvation. So that we can now rest in the divine promise. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Had it not been for the divine inspiration of the Holy Scriptures, we could not rely on them. But the Holy Spirit inspired godly men to write as they did. We believe in the inspiration of Scripture, which is God's own word of revelation of himself and his will and his works. And we can rejoice as we believe the scriptures. Because they take us to Christ and Christ supremely. So the saints and the faithful in Christ Jesus live now, but they will live forever to the praise of the glory of God the Father, God the Son, 
and God the Holy Spirit. Can there be anything more worth having? Are there any riches comparable to these riches? We only have just a smattering of an idea of what every spiritual blessing can be. But they're all ours. God the Father has blessed us with them. God the Son has procured them. And God the Spirit has sealed them to us. There's not a divine blessing that is not yours and mine if we are believers in Christ. Oh, are you a believer? I don't say do you pay lip service, but are you different to the world in which you live? A saint and one who is faithful in Christ Jesus. If you are, you are in possession of these riches that come by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, and all for the glory of God alone. Let's just pray. O oh Lord, we come before you again, and Lord, oh, how the grace of God amazes me. It loosed me from my sins and set me free. What made it happen so? It was God's will, this much I know. Oh Lord, it was the will of God. How can it be? And yet this is the essence of grace. The Father loved. The Son loved. The Spirit loved. And together they loved a wretch like me and have done all that is needful for my salvation. Oh Lord, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Oh, we would praise you, Lord, together this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> well, we'll sing together 494. 494. Father, it thy love that knew us earth's foundations long before. That same love to Jesus drew us by its sweet constraining power and will keep us safely now and evermore. 494.
Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory for ever and ever. Amen.